Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Basketball season is now upon us, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. With MLB postseason, NFL, and college football, and NHL in full swing, Bet Online is your number one source for all your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime. Head to the Bet Online website today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. He is the author of the Experiential Billionaire book. His name is Joe Huff. He is an inspiration, um, uh, a, a good man, and, and somebody that... Um, um, you know, I think uh, has really done a great job in, in terms of living um, an experience-filled life and also giving back uh, to people. He's traveled all across the world. He's helped uh, the needy. He's helped um, uh, bring hearing to uh, many people who have uh, suffered from hearing loss. Just a, a terrific individual. Uh, his website is joehuff.com, J-O-E-H-U-F-F.com. Again, his book is Experiential Billionaire. There's also a card game that comes with it, uh, which sort of helps folks um, to kind of take the uh, the action to the book. It's called the Treasure Maps card uh, game and uh, really sort of helps people. Uh, he's had Sir Richard Branson, former President Bill Clinton, uh, comedian Trevor Noah, and a bunch of other folks um, review and read his book. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and listen. Uh, this is episode 43 on season five. As always, appreciate you making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. And here is uh, our interview with Joe Huff. Thank you so much. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast. Today, we have a very special guest in Joe Huff. He is a, he is a entrepreneur, speaker, and author. Uh, he has written a book, um, Experiential Billionaire, uh, absolutely uh, fantastic uh, reviews for this book, and and a man after my own heart uh, in terms of going through life and uh, really capitalizing on experiences. So, so Joe, welcome in, and, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, so this is, I was reading, um, you know, some of the stuff online. And, you know, first of all, the reviews of your book, I mean, you've got Trevor Noah, Bill Clinton, uh, reviewing the book. So <laughs> clearly, uh, I've got some, uh, some, some folks who have made, made an impact and, um, have had some influence in the world, uh, you know, commenting on, uh, on the book. And, um, I just want to read Joe's bio really quick. It's a, it's a short bio, but I think just to give the listeners, a uh, an idea of of sort of what Joe's all about. So uh, Joe is a leading expert on the art, science, and path to becoming rich in life experiences. 
With more than 30 years experience as an entrepreneur, founder, and owner, Joe, Joe has helped tens of thousands of people around the world build uh, seven, eight-figure businesses and has had multiple successful exits. Now as a keynote speaker, co-author of the best-selling Experiential Billionaire book and Treasure Maps card game, self-proclaimed experiential guinea pig, I love that by the way, and facilitator of one of the largest surveys on life experiences ever done, he is passionate about helping and inspiring others to live intentional, regret-free lives by going after audacious goals. So Joe, again, thanks. Welcome in. And what kind of drove you to write the book, uh, Experiential Billionaire? Oh, thanks again. Um, yeah, whenever I hear the bio, I think, is, is that right? Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I hear on the same way. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it sounds nice. Um, it's funny because bios, I just want to, let me just start off by saying, you know, that, and this is a big philosophy I have on life, but, you know, our bios are like resumes. It only features like the highlights, right? <laughs> Everyone knew all the all the lows. Like we should have another bio that has all of like the low points of our lives so that we can right. balance that out and tell people like <laughs> the road that it took to get to some of these other peaks, right? So hundred percent. I love that. You should be like, here's my here's my promotional bio and here's the real bio. Here's the here's the iceberg below the tip. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's pull back the curtains now. Let's let's get the behind the scenes reel, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we've got the the highlight reel. We've got that nailed. But, All right. but yeah, um, yeah, I've got a a very very uh, specific few moments in time that you know really shaped my life. Um, so starting off when I was pretty young, when I, I had a, a rough uh, time in high school. Growing up was actually a pretty fun time. I actually did pretty well in uh, in school when I was a kid um, and uh, until I started to get a little off the rails and hanging out with the wrong crowd, all that kind of typical stuff that um, you don't really think there's any real, you know, uh, there, there's not a lot of um, long-term ramifications to your actions when you're that age, at least in your mind. And uh, that kind of ended abruptly for me when I got kicked out of school for missing about 27 days in one <laughs> semester of uh, my uh, my high school sophomore year. And I I turned that all around um, after a, a pretty big struggle with uh, with some you know personal stuff like drugs and alcohol as a as a young young uh, adolescent, and uh, I I was just about to like kind of you know figure out well I I managed to graduate high school actually somehow and I was about to like celebrate that and uh, I was 18 years old and I I came downstairs in my house and my my dad who was 48 years old like he was absolutely seemingly healthy 48 year old guy he worked a ton you know like a lot of our parents did um and uh, i came downstairs and found him slumped over at the kitchen table and white as a sheet and drenched in sweat and you know of course freaked out and called paramedics and they rushed him to the hospital um because you know he had a heart attack but uh he got to the hospital and when they admitted him, it turned out that he didn't just have a heart attack. He actually had advanced stage heart disease and his heart was failing and it wasn't failing. Like at some point in the future, like take some drugs and we'll see what we can do. It was failing like then. So they, when they admitted him to the hospital, they actually put him on the top of the heart transplant list. Um, and within a few days he wound up on life support and, you know, shortly thereafter they gave him very low odds of survival and 
you know, I was just like completely shaken to the core. I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, it was just such a wake up call to see my dad who had just worked this whole time. And I'm sure he had all of these things that he still wanted to do, but hadn't because he thought he would have more time. He thought he would you know, retire in whatever years and go do all these things. And, and thinking about that made me think about, you know, how many people are currently living like that. And I was walking through this hospital and there's just, you know, it's full of people in these rooms that I'm sure thought they were going to have more time. And then at, for me at that point, you know, that terrifying moment, it gave me this great gift. It gave me this gift of urgency because, you know, I, yeah, I was, I was terrified. And so was my family. And I've, I was terrified for my dad and myself, of course, but I was suddenly made very aware that I, I wasn't going to have a guarantee. There was no guarantee on how much time I was going to have to fulfill my goals and live my dreams. And for me, that was like really impactful, especially because I hadn't really even spent the time to figure out what my goals and dreams even were. And, um, I'll uh, I'll spare the suspense and and let you in on the secret that my dad's story has a happy ending because he actually got a transplant. It took about two months, um, but he was able to get a transplant and he was really frail and weak and the recovery period was a bit intense and it didn't quite turn out like I think everyone had thought it was going to where he was just going to get out of the hospital and everything was going to be fine. Um but what happened was he got out of the hospital. He wound up on disability. He was only making like literally $716 a month on uh, disability. He was stuck in this tiny little apartment in, in Riverside, California, close to the hospital he was at. And he could have just stayed there, you know, close to the safety of the orbit of the, the hospital and doctors. But after going through what he went through, he knew what was at stake and he decided to move and leave everything and go to this beach in Mexico to live for however much time he had left. Cause he didn't want to be kept alive. He wanted to live. And, uh, and it was remarkable watching that second life of my dad's cause his life completely changed. As soon as he got out of this like stressful environment, his health actually rebounded. He wound up doing things every day that I never ever imagined my dad doing. He went mountain biking and sailing and, you know, swam in the sea of Cortez and organized chess tournaments and, you know, the, the most fun life I could imagine him ever having. And again, these are all things I never even thought he wanted to do or knew he wanted to do. But those that moment had a really big impact on me because that made me start trying to figure out how to do the things I wanted to do with my life um, at that really early age. And, uh, I, you know, I, and again, I, we grew up, my parents were very blue collar. My parents met on the assembly line, making brake pads in the Midwest. And, you know, my closest experience to a trust fund was trusting that my parents would fund an occasional trip to the ice cream truck. So I didn't have <laughs> a, I didn't have like this epiphany moment of I need to invest in experiences in my life and then just had some like, you know, access to capital to that. So I just did what I could. And it was, uh, it was really remarkable because just from making that, you know, choice of like trying to decide what I could do now, the things that I would want to do. So I wouldn't regret them if something happened to me and I wound up in a situation like my dad and, uh, I wound up doing all these really fun things that were, you know, attainable. I, I learned how to cliff dive and free dive. And I started trying to go surfing and I 
started hiking a bunch and I learned how to skateboard as a, mostly as an adult. And I did all these things that were pretty free, but, um, but yeah, I just had to use time that I probably would have wasted if I didn't have that urgency. And the more I did things, the more I became sure and addicted to like doing new things and became sure that that was really the secret to kind of filling up life. And, uh, watching what my dad went through made me think that, that there was really a choice Like you either worked a lot or you, um, you either worked a lot or you got to have experiences, but you couldn't do both unless you were already inherently wealthy. And really that's like a big part of like my wealth perception shift. Like what it means to be wealthy is I started investing in experiences because I felt that was where wealth was. And, uh, what I didn't realize was that our experiences are really connected very, very, very um, deeply to all other forms of success. So the more experiences I had, that started to become like a lot more obvious because I was building all of these incredible relationships with people through these experiences that I was putting together and organizing. And eventually a friend from one of those relationships asked me if I would start a business with them. And, you know, I said, I don't know how to run a business. And they told me, you always seem to figure out how to get things done. And they knew that that would be something that was powerful or helpful in a business. And it was, um, we actually started a business together and wound up, um, growing a two person graphic t-shirt operation in a small garage, which I think is a glorification to call that, uh, a company, but we, we <laughs> thought it was, and, uh, we grew that into a uh, shipping and warehousing business with over a hundred employees over a decade of working together. And we felt really blessed and really lucky, um, to have built this business, but that's when my view of wealth really shifted because at that point I was finally financially stable for the first time in my life. I created financial freedom and my life felt bankrupt because at that time, right, we hit that milestone of 100 employees. I realized that I had stopped doing all of the experiences I wanted to do again. I had just been working somewhere along the line. I had become like my dad and just been working. And um, that was a big, giant moment of change in my life. Um, and it coincided with my dad actually um, getting ill for the second time and actually passing away. And it was a really... In you know, deep inflection point in my life where I, um, I thought about, you know, again, like what I would care about not doing if I, you know, suddenly found myself out of time. And, uh, I remembered how my dad in that first time around with the near death experience had instilled all this urgency in me. And I remember how amazing it was watching his second life and watching him change his whole life because he had to though because he had he had lived you know it wasn't like he didn't support his family and that was nothing but he had only really been working for such a long time that he had to make so many changes in his life and i thought i don't want to wait i'm not going to wait until it's you know too late and i hope i get that hail mary pass like the heart transplant or something i want to feel like i have a near-death experience minus the near-death experience. And I changed my whole life. I wound up walking away from that company and starting a company um, that works with charities. And from there, that was one of the scariest things I ever did. And it turned out to be one of the best things I ever did because we wound up 
over the next year, I got to travel the world and help provide clean water for people in Haiti and help build schools for kids in Guatemala. And I did, worked with victims of um, human trafficking and in Indonesia and all of that stuff was super uh, rewarding, helping people uh, improve their lives. But it was really, really, really valuable to me. And it led me to meeting my business partner, Bridget Hilton, um, who uh, who's, who I knew, but not very well. And she didn't know anyone working in charity. So she had reached out to me because because uh, she had an idea to start a company, the first ever social enterprise uh, electronics business where we would make headphones and speakers and help give people hearing aids. Um, so she had saw a video of a girl hearing for the first time um, that went viral and she shared it with me. And just from that moment, her and I started working together and that turned out to, you know, all of these things happened after I left my business. Um, but that turned into this adventure of the last decade where we got to travel to over 25 more countries and help give over 50,000 people hearing aids around the world. So I like to say that this isn't a rags to riches story in the typical sense, but it is a rags to riches story in the sense that, you know, we had this dream of giving someone hearing for the first time. And somehow, you know, just a year later, we were on the ground in Peru, like seeing a girl here for the first time and we were putting hearing aids in her ears. And you know, since then, it's just been this, this tremendous realization that it's the, all these experiences in our life that, you know, we're really seeking, you know, it's not the, the money stuff is obviously helpful. And this isn't about choosing between experiences and money, but it's the, the message is that the most important thing is to invest in our experiences, because if we focus only on the money and put everything else off, we're going to wind up, you know, in a really, really terrible place where we're going to have a lot of regret and no time to fix it. So yeah. that was the long rambling answer of how we got to experiential billionaire, <laughs> but, um, I love it, Joe. No, oh, that's guess, good. Yeah. Let, let me actually tell you the name part. Cause it's funny. Cause yeah, this is actually where, so we're traveling, we're about, you know, four years into the travel the world and uh, get people hearing aids part of it. And at the time, you know, Beats is selling to Apple for billions of dollars and we're partnering with like, you know, again, we started this with very little money, you know, Bridget's the 401k was like five grand and I had left my company and I had a little bit of, you know, capital to work with, but it was like very, very, you know, we were a tiny, tiny, tiny thing. And uh, we wound up partnering with Delta Airlines and Google and Spotify. And all of these brands were like, you know, doing things with us. So people started reaching out to us and saying, oh man, you guys must be killing it. You guys must be, you know, you guys are clearly rich. And then Bridget gets featured on Forbes 30 under 30. And we just start laughing. We're like, unless they mean 30 people with less than $30 in the bank. Like this is a, this list is a little inaccurate because, you know, like with uh startups, even though the company's doing well, like what you're worth on paper is, you know, grossly different than what you're actually worth in the bank. And uh, so people kept saying, you guys must be so rich. And we would just laugh and go, you know, we're more like experiential billionaires because we were traveling the world, like, you know, having these experiences of helping people all over the world. And in between the cracks there, we were seeing all these incredible places that, 
you know, you would probably only get to see if you were, you know, someone that was extremely wealthy or just extraordinarily intentional. So, so we were living these experiential billionaire lives and that kept, you know, more and more people kept telling us, you know, how do you guys, you know, do that? How do you think like that? How do you approach wealth? And, you know, that led to us creating the book and all the tools to help people start to be more intentional and figure out how to live experience rich lives. I love that. No, it's, it's such a, you know, the title in itself has so much meaning, right? You know, experiential billionaire, because I remember hearing this story uh, going through, it wasn't in business school, it might have been an undergrad, but about this CEO, and he was at a conference. And, you know, he asked the sort of, he was at a conference for his own company. And he asked the folks in the crowd, all of his employees, which included executives, you know, he asked the question, do you want my job? And the person respond, you know, people would raise their hands. Yes. You know, and I don't know how many folks in the crowd raised their hand, maybe half or less. And then he said, great, you know, you won't, you won't know your kids' birthdays. You won't, you know, be able to spend holidays at home, all these different things, right. Where he was explaining, these are all the things I had to go through to get to this point of being the head of this company. Um, but to your point, like life is so much more than that, right? It's it's um, it's about who you meet and um, the experiences that you have, because you know it's like like you talk about, you know, in the book and, and even in some of the the reviews of the book, you know, this idea that you know at the end of your life, I think you interviewed like twenty thousand people over the age of sixty five, and you know when when you get to the end of your life, you're sort of you ask the question of you know what did I not accomplish or what did I you know, what, what did I not experience? And people often refer back to, I would have spent more time with family. I would have done this. I would have challenged myself to do this. So I, I love that you're, you're doing this and you're, you're, you're talking about it and you're, you know, you're putting a value to it. You know, you're saying, Hey, it's, uh, there's something to be said about, um, you know, uh, about having experiences in life. And there's a, there's a value to that. You know, it's, um, I often I'll sort of, you know, make this joke, you know, like on Instagram, you have like a lot of reels and, you know, a lot of like funny memes that come in. Right. And there's this one where I think it's uh, it's, it's like a video of Donald Trump. And then it says something like um, a quote where he's saying something like um, somebody has to do it. I am the chosen one or something. Right. And then below it, there's a there's a meme that says when you're the person in the family that travels everywhere, but nobody knows how you get money to do it. <laughs> so I laugh at that because, you know, in many ways, like you, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started a law practice and it's never easy. It's always a struggle. It's always like looking for the next avenue. And so I just love that you've written this book and, um, and the title again, I mean, I just love the title. I would love to ask if if you can share maybe some of your traveling experiences. I mean, it seems like you've seen everything from the Northern Lights to Africa to um, to some of the remotest parts of the earth. And I would just love to uh, hear your experiences uh, about some of those if you can share. Yeah, sure. I, that's a great, great uh, question. First, I, I'll throw out though too that it's interesting how people think that, you know, the most valuable experiences are the big bucket list experiences. And those are of course, big valuable things that you should plan and try to figure out, you know, if, especially if those are things that are high on your list of things you want to do, 
But in our survey, um, and again, the survey was over 20,000 people. It wasn't all over 65, though. It was actually a broader survey. There's a lot of research um, that does cover the 65 and over groups. But what was interesting is in our survey, all the age categories, you know, had the same type of regrets of the things they didn't do. It wasn't things they did. It was things they didn't do. And the experiences that they valued the most or wanted to do the most or wish they had done already almost all of those top ones were attainable. They weren't like, I want to hike Everest. They were like, I want to go visit my family in Nevada and I live in California, or I want to learn how to play guitar or I want to, it was all stuff that you could just take steps to do. And I think that was really powerful to see that, that, you know, there are things that people can attain and, and people seem to know that these are the things that matter. We just don't act like that. It's like some glitch in our matrix. We, we, if you ask people, what's the most important thing they'll say, oh yeah, it's all of the experiences that I want to seek and do. And then you ask, okay, well, how are you going to spend the next three months of your time and the next three years of your time and the next, you know, they're going to go, oh, I'm going to go to work every day and I'm going to, you know, take a vacation once a year. And it's like, really, that's your plan. You know, like, <laughs> you know, that's, the most important thing is to do things that, you know, make you feel fulfilled and you're not going to make any plans to do them at all, but that's what people do. But so to get to the travel itself, though, you know, that all stemmed for us too, from, you know, the experience being first, you know, with, uh, with my first um, company post the shipping company, uh, you know, I, I specifically said, I want to travel and help people. And that was the business I started. So, um, you know, I got to go see some really interesting and amazing places that gave me great perspective about, you know, other parts of the world and other cultures. Um, you know, the, the first, uh, the first impact trip I did was Haiti. Um, and that was really powerful to see, you know, how, how much work is being done there, um, to try to, to help and just, just seeing how much help is actually needed. Um, Haiti's got a lot of a lot of issues that are still unresolved and it's the, the people are extremely resilient, but uh, it's powerful to see. Um, as far as I would say an overall top, top line note for people that want to travel. And this is, you know, part of the tools that we put in the book, you know, we, the, the book is extremely actionable. You know, I, I would be, I would hate to write a book that tells people how to do all, to do all these things and then doesn't say how to. So the book is very much an action uh, waiting to happen. So one of the things um, is to figure out like where you want to go. And I think that people are intimidated. So you got to break it down into small steps and travel becomes much, much, much easier when you just do it. Um, so for me, you know, a, a great example is if you, if you want to do a road trip in Italy, you know, just pick the dates that work and figure out how much time you need to save up for it, both in time off and money, and then start planning and then start filling in all the gaps leading up to it. We call that building from like low ROI to high ROI experiences by doing things that will support that trip. So for instance, like you're going to go to Italy, maybe start learning how to make some Italian food at home, start, you know, taking some, you know, use Duolingo and pick up some Italian, start asking, go to Italian restaurants and ask waiters for different advice on wines and, you know, just learn as much as you can so that when you get there, you actually have some information to build on. Um, and that's a really fun way to, to get into an experience. But in terms of, uh, 
my personal favorites are always ones where we're pushing the edges a little more. Um, I think that, you know, top experiences by far for, for me were the, the ones where we were actually giving, you know, hearing aids, uh, being able to see somebody here for the first time is a pretty incredible experience. Um, so the first time we were in Peru, that was a remarkable trip to, to be down there and see a, see a, our first patient sit in front of us and watch her eyes light up as she found out that she actually would be able to hear for the very first time in her life. That's a remarkable, remarkable travel experience. And then when we were in Peru, we got to do some of the other really great things like uh, Machu Picchu and Sacred Valley. I don't know if you've made it to to either of those spaces, but uh, I mean, there's parts of the world when you're there, you're just stood there in awe of just the the feeling that it brings. And that that's another very, very similar feeling, I would say, to um, how I felt when we were in uh, Kenya. We were doing some missions in um, Nairobi. And uh, while we were there, we actually went to the Maasai Mara and did a safari for a couple of days. And and it's probably, that's probably one of the most magical places in the world to see where it just feels like the birth of civilization, or the birth of a of humanity, I guess, or, or life right. on earth. Yeah. Really, really powerful uh, to see that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just pushing yourself when you get places to hike that volcano in, you know, Bali and Indonesia or, you know, go, I did some really great uh, ice fishing in the Arctic circle and in uh, outside of Tromsø, Norway with my wife and we did some dog sledding. And, you know, and when we go places, we just try to look for, you know, like what's the, what's the most unique, new novel, somewhat uncomfortable thing that we can squeeze in. <laughs> so that's a, a good way to approach it. I think. I love it. Yeah. I had a chance to go to, um, uh, South Africa and, um, a, uh, safari when I was there back in, uh, well, last year in October, uh, around my birthday. And, uh, it was just fantastic. Um, but I love to hear that. And I love how you explained first too, that, you know, the experiences are important. Obviously the big ticket items are important, but it's, it's, but you know, you're right. It's like, I remember during the pandemic, um, you know, I've always loved cooking, but because I all of a sudden now had this quote unquote downtime or less time to, you know, go into an office or less time for traveling to meetings and all this, because everything was right there virtually, you know, I took advantage of it by learning how to cook um, and, and at least, uh, or maybe working on my craft more because I'd always enjoyed it, but actually working on it. And like you said, I mean, one of the most enjoyable experiences was, you know, making my own pasta or uh, creating my own dishes and uh, seeing people happy when you cook for them and and you put, you know, time and energy into it and learning new things. So um, to me, it's just, it's so, so fantastic. And then of course, like you said, it's not just the, you know, elderly folks, 65 plus that are, you know, um, looking at life experiences, it's people, I mean, cause you know, when you're younger, you still think about it. You think about the time you spend with your family and your friends and what's most important. Right. So I just love that you've done this and I would love to spend, you know, this last 10 minutes or so kind of talking about, uh, the card game and how the card game either complements the book or, you know, and how it works. Cause 
that seems to have a really it's having a really positive effect not only in the corporate world um but also in, in people's lives in terms of it's like you said you've written the book but you'd be remiss to not create a a pathway or a guideway to you know how to get there yeah you know it's so it's so interesting that young people really all people right we just we get caught up in the you know maintenance of life and we put things off it's just human nature right so we all we've all done it we're all guilty of it and we get in the cycle of making excuses for why we can't do whatever we actually want to do or that might something that just might be more you know fulfilling or rewarding or something that you know makes you feel like you uh, that creates a, a bigger better memory for instance um and we sadly also live in a time that for all the benefits of technology you know it's also a extraordinarily easy time to get distracted you know that we don't have to look very far to distract ourselves for as long as we want right there's a ton of things that have been painstakingly created to steal our attention so to your point about like cooking, like making pasta or making, you know, something at homemade, especially like families, like I've got two small children, like, are my kids going to remember that I brought home pizza from the, the local Italian place? Or are they going to remember making pizza in the kitchen and making a mess and having fun? Like which one of those is going to create like a memory? So the value that you get from so many of these things that cost like literally like, you know, almost nothing or less than you would spend doing something similarly is so different. You can create so much value out of being more intentional with your time. It's about prompting yourself to like be aware of it. And that's where like the card game and that's where a lot of the exercises come into play. It's like bringing that awareness. Again, like that statement I said earlier is more or less the elevator pitch of what we're doing is we're trying to give people, you know, the urgency of that near-death experience minus the near-death experience. Because, <laughs> you know, if you know somebody that that had one or that went through, you know, an experience with a loved one, like having one, they're the ones that like, you know, they take that trip. You know, they they go, they run that marathon, they get up early and watch the sunrises. They they have a zest for life because they got a they got a quick snapshot picture of what it was going to look like when it ended. So I'll give you, I'll share a few of the different tools that I think help people see that um, in a, you know, a more real way. Sometimes people think some of the tools that we use are, you know, scary. And I think it's scarier to think you could waste your life. And that's really what the, I try to tell people when you start to contemplate death specifically. Um, but so for instance, the top of the card deck, the very first thing, it's actually a separate card is a memento Mori chart. And, um, I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but what it is, is it's a chart of 76 boxes and the, each box represents one year of life. And 76 is the average lifespan of Americans uh, right now. So what you do is you take that chart and you mark off every box you've lived and then you have a visual of how much time you have left if you live to be the average life of an american right like lifetime so that is usually pretty alarming for people to just even see that at no matter what age you're at but the reason that's really helpful is a you can see like in a more finite sense like this is how long i might have but b you can do the math you can say okay you know i like to your point, Jeremy, you said you like to travel, but maybe because of your job, you only travel once a year. 
So if you're 42 and you're 76, you can see these are how many years I have left to travel. So if I want to see, quote unquote, travel the world or see X amount of countries, I've got to plan out where I'm going to go every year um, and you know try and, and not, and obviously you're going to want to go places twice and things like that. So it becomes right. a lot more like finite your time. You know, you're like, okay, wait a minute. I probably won't get to see as many places as I thought. I'm going to have to be more intentional and specific. And things like visiting family or visiting friends or spending time with your kids. If your kids are, you know, eight years old and there's only 10 more boxes of them in the house, right? So if you're going to do trips together before they move out and go away and go to college. And so it just kind of frames things in like more, you know, gives you those deadlines that you need because we all work much better under deadline. So that particular tool, um, I think is helpful for people to to grasp the finiteness. Um, we use another tool in the book actually that's um, called treasure maps and that helps people figure out what they want to do. <clears throat> and for that, what we do is we have people imagine that their doctor just called and they have really bad news. They got their test results back and you only have a year left to live. And what are you going to do with that one year you have left to live? What are the 10 things, write them down that you absolutely know if you don't do those 10 things before you die, you are going to have immense regret. And it's remarkable because when we make people go through this, we, you know, we preface it by saying, you know, only do things, only write down things on this list that you could accomplish in one year, but things that you absolutely know that you, you know, you really, really would want to do it. So money might not even factor in because you could probably figure out how to get the money if you have only a year left to live. Um, but the remarkable thing is when people finish these lists and we say, okay, now put an asterisk next to each of those things on that list that you're currently working on. And it's almost always none. It's crazy. Like people are, these are things that are the most important thing in their life, quote unquote, and they're not even making plans to do that yet because they put, we put things off into this someday calendar of like, I'll do it someday. I'll get around to it someday. We make the excuse. I don't have the time. I don't have the money, but how can you not have the time to do the thing that's the most important to you? So, um, so it's really that just getting that back to surface so you can acknowledge it and then start trying to take steps toward it. So the card deck's full of like really short prompts to help people like, uh, see things that they can do to change their life. And I'll, I'll, uh, I think I'll end it up with the one that is the end of the treasure map exercise. We use a card for that. It's what would you do if you had one day left to live? Right. And so many people on, in our study of over 20,000 people said the same things that I'm sure a lot of people are that are listening are thinking, which is I would call my mom or my wife or my kids, or I would, you know, hug my family. I would, it's all those personal things. Um, but it's interesting how many people wanted to reach out to a, a lost friend, you know, someone that they had a relationship with that they just kind of let go or they didn't, um, you know, they had maybe a falling out and they never repaired it or whatnot. And when you think about like how easy it is to actually fix those kind of things, um, so it's it's remarkable that we don't make the effort to do that, knowing how much regret we'll have if we did, don't. So so we make a list of like people that we want to make sure to you know be in touch with, um, friends that we don't want to lose track of, and uh, and call them. 
So I think that's a really fun uh, card to get people started on something you can just do. And like, you know, it's literally like minutes. You can make a list of the people that you haven't spoken to in a long time that you'll regret, you know, not being in touch with and start giving people a call. I love that. Joe, you're a, you're an inspiration, my friend. And, um, and I appreciate you joining us today and um, for the folks listening in, uh, listening to this podcast uh, again the book is experiential billionaire highly recommend uh, you check it out um with 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 the opportunity to 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 really change your life and um and to reward yourself with experiences uh, i mean it's just too short i mean i so many people i come across joe that just you know you, you know, it's I, I remember even when i just went to africa right now that i know that's like a big ticket item but um just hearing people saying oh i've always wanted to do that you know, so, uh, again, Joe, appreciate you joining in and, and, uh, hope to have you back soon and, um, got to get together, uh, you know, here in LA at, at some point in the near future. I'd love that. I'd love that. And to anyone that says that ever, you know, I'd love to do that. We always just respond. You can, <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> yeah. We'll tell you how, like, this is, let's start planning. Let's take step one today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again, Joe. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Awesome. Really great being on. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Anytime. All right, folks. Well, that was Joe Huff, author of Experiential Billionaire. Thanks again for listening in. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. We'll look forward to being back with you next week. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans, and this is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.